Hello, hello to all my readers and listeners. This is Karen Hunt, aka K.H. Majek, with my new essay for you. This is called The Final Solution, CBDCs. Once the machine can lock you out, you're in big trouble. And this is the second in a series of three on the biomedical security state. The first one was digital ID. This one is central bank digital currency. And the third one will be the new world religion of transhumanism. Okay. Money is probably the most successful story ever told. It has no objective value. But then you have these master storytellers, the big bankers, the finance ministers, and they come and they tell a very convincing story. And that's a quote from Yuval Noah Harari. And here's a quote from Jordan Peterson. People have a long history of letting other people do complicated things for them. To understand how we will all come to accept a central bank digital currency, or CBDC, we must familiarize ourselves with the story of money and how the money masters fooled us into believing it. I will never accept CBDCs, you say. Please understand. Unless we are willing to throw away all technological devices and live as outcasts off the grid, we will accept it. Okay. Now that I've got that out of the way, let me tell you a little story about computer games. My youngest son used to play a computer game called Night Online. The game was released in 2003 when he was nine years old. It was a great game back then. I don't know about it now. Players were thrown into a medieval world where they had to barter and sell, build alliances, negotiate treaties, work toward goals, and receive rewards for doing so. Technology is amazing. Computers opened up exciting new ways for children to learn. The game seemed innocent enough. Kids quickly outpaced their teachers in terms of computer skills. Technology became the language of our children. They were able to access information far beyond and in much more interesting ways than what their teachers could offer them. School became even more boring than it had been before. My son learned more from Night Online than he ever could in school. He met kids from all over the country, became friends with a boy his age in New York. He even met a kid in Turkey and learned some Turkish. Night Online, like a lot of other games, started out free. But then, the elite figured out a brilliant new way to exploit these new technologies, just like they do with everything. They fooled people into buying fake things in online worlds. Now those online worlds are becoming realer and more relevant than the real world. It's bizarre. At the same time that people are suffering with no heat in the real world for the good of the planet, kids can buy a mansion in a virtual world and never worry about how hot or cold their avatar feels. The house the avatar lives in, the clothes it wears, the commodities it possesses have all been bought with virtual tokens that are meaningless in the real world. Adults reading this might not believe it to be true. You might think I'm exaggerating, but that's because you aren't a kid. Check out this link, and that's in the body of this essay, that tells parents to accept the inevitable that their kids are living in virtual worlds. The important thing is to make sure that the world is family friendly. And if you still think that sounds fringe, have you ever listened to 10-year-olds talking to one another online? They can spend hours discussing their latest purchases in the worlds they are building inside their tablets and their phones. 
meet your next metaverse friends interact chat and dance with ai virtual beings explore new worlds break the next digital frontier with sensorium app and that's from an ad you can find online for kids check out these eight virtual worlds for teenagers here's the top world called disney superbia being citizens of the city Players have the liberty to choose their customized avatars by donning different hairstyles, choosing their eye colors, and designing their outfits. Players can renovate their virtual homes using different decorative pieces and items and visit the virtual homes of their favorite Disney characters. This is one of the best virtual worlds for teenagers in which players can create desserts for the ice cream parlors from scratch and undergo a fun series of other such cool challenges to earn coins and unlock a variety of decorative items, fashionable outfits, and new furniture. Hmm. You might say, well, what does this have to do with CBDCs? Well, everything. The games and then the virtual worlds our children inhabit are the clearest evidence we have of how this devious, scripted change from the tangible to the intangible has taken place. It's just that the capturing of our children is the horror we least think about or understand. Yes, it used to be so simple, bartering one thing in exchange for another in the real world. How did we stray so far? How were the masses fooled into exchanging real freedoms for fake ones? Well, looking at a condensed history of money, what came after bartering? Coins. The bigger the pile of coins, the more power one had to buy and sell. But what to do with that pile of coins and eventually paper, sitting right there in your home for all the world to see? What if someone wanted your pile? They might steal it. They might even kill you in the process. Very dangerous. And so the money masters were born. Men like J.P. Morgan, David Rockefeller, David Brené Rothschild, Mario Draghi, C.D. Deshmukh, the list goes on. These visionaries saw ways to exploit the fear the public had of losing their money. They started telling money stories. Whoever told the best stories became the most trusted money masters. It was all about trust. People needed to trust whoever they were going to give their money to. The money masters promised to keep everyone's money safe in places called banks. From there, the money masters really started complicating things. They held on to everyone's money, yes, and that seemed to work well. But they started to say there were ways to make your pile grow bigger. You could invest it. Money could be turned into other things. What money actually was started to, to blur. Sometimes it mysteriously disappeared and then reappeared again. <clears throat> By that point, the whole process of buying and selling the contracts, the stock market, the myriad accounts took place without any money ever actually changing hands. Where once there were piles, real piles of money, now there were only visions of it in people's minds. The very concept of money began to change. It became less real. And as it became less real, the seductive rationalization to buy things, even though you didn't actually have the money, grew. No longer could you look down at the money in your hands. You couldn't count it out, see that you only had enough to buy one bottle of milk and some eggs. How limiting was that? Now you had the freedom to buy things with money that wasn't actually there and pay for it later when the money appeared, hopefully. And so the credit system was born. <clears throat> A short history of credit. 
the first credit bureau to collect data on Americans, was the Atlanta-based retail credit company RCC, founded in 1899. <laughs> and just to show that these money masters have always had the same single-minded desire to control everything and everyone, they not only collected credit information, but political and social preferences, as well as rumors about people's personal lives. Well, and then let's move on to cars. In 1919, General Motors created the General Motors Acceptance Corporation to provide customers with car loans. This meant you could drive a car off the lot without having paid for it right away. Mortgages. Fannie Mae was formed in 1938, the first example of the federal government creating a national network to connect investors, lenders, and mortgage borrowers. With the enactment of the GI Bill of Rights in 1944, American families increased their home borrowing from 19% of households in 1949 to more than 40% by 1967. Credit cards. The first credit card was the Diners Club card in 1950. The card was used for travel and entertainment and the balance had to be paid off every month. In 1951, the first bank credit card was introduced by Franklin National Bank. By 1953, there were 60 credit card plans in the United States. In 1958, most credit card issuers began allowing revolving credit, which meant that the credit cards didn't have to be paid off in full each month. Then came the growth of credit bureaus. In 1968, TRW Information Systems was founded to acquire credit data, followed by the creation of TransUnion, another credit bureau, in 1969. TRW later sold to two private equity firms as Experian TM in 1996. RCC changed its names to Equifax or Equifax in 1975, solidifying the three credit bureaus as we know them today. Experian, TransUnion, TM, and Equifax. These three, the three agencies partnered with a technology company, Fair Isaac and Company or FICO, to create a credit score. And in 1989, the first FICO score for general use was introduced. In 1995, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac mortgage lenders began using FICO scores to determine if a consumer qualified for a mortgage. How did credit credit scores take over our lives. Well, this was how, little by little, the money masters knew that ordinary citizens were just as greedy as they were. Of course, they couldn't let ordinary citizens gain power the way they had. Rather, they had to control ordinary citizens through feeding lies that they could succeed the way the money masters had without ever allowing it to happen. This plan worked very well. A Forbes article states that as of the third quarter of 2022, Americans hold $925 billion in credit card debt alone, which is a rise of $38 billion since the second quarter of 2022. The Federal Reserve says this is the biggest jump we've seen in more than 20 years. The pressure on ordinary citizens to pay back their debts is unfathomable. unfathomable. For most people, missing one paycheck means the inability to pay the minimum on credit cards, let alone monthly rent or car payments. Add to that the recent lockdowns that destroyed so many small businesses, and now the pressure to sacrifice even more for the sake of climate change and the war in Ukraine, the downfall of cryptocurrency, well, it's no wonder people are disheartened, disillusioned, and ready for some government control. 
That control is being introduced in the form of a digital ID, which I discussed in my last essay, Digital ID and Our Obsession with Identity, combined with a centralized bank digital currency, which includes a social credit score to keep you honest. All of this will become an integral component of our phones and eventually implanted into our bodies. The populace will accept it as they have been conditioned to do. They will accept Grandpa Joe Biden, cool billionaire <clears throat> Elon Musk, do-gooder Bill Gates, financial wizard Larry Fink, visionary Klaus Schwab, and all the rest of them taking over and controlling everything. Social credit scores. You want to be a good citizen? reduce your carbon footprint. If you do, maybe some of that debt will be forgiven. Maybe you will be given a universal basic income, as long as you spend it on what the money masters say you should. We already have something called individual carbon credit allowance for companies. The same process will be applied to individuals. While speaking at the World Economic Forum in Davos, the president of Alibaba, J. Michael Evans, said that they are in the process of creating an app that will track individual carbon footprints. And I quote, we are developing a technology that will allow consumers to monitor their carbon footprint. What will this mean? It will monitor individuals on where they are traveling, how they are traveling, and what they are eating. Klima is an app that prepares people for this transition. Klima has identified diet as one of the major personal steps a person can take to reduce their emissions footprint. Substituting cars with biking or electric vehicles and buying less fast fashion and more used clothing also has an impact. Klima's, apps include, Klima's app includes a carbon calculator which measures a carbon footprint and allows users to offset that with a personalized monthly subscription. The company's app also provides lifestyle tips to reduce em emissions. Finally, it offers a social sharing feature so that other would-be climate warriors can join the fight to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and climate change. It's all a bad joke. Since the massive amount of energy used in mining Bitcoin is destroying the environment, not to mention the reputation upon which cryptocurrencies are founded. According to DigiEconomist, the carbon footprint of a single Bitcoin transaction in 2022 is roughly 775.56 kilograms of carbon dioxide equivalent or roughly equal to the carbon footprint generated by 1,780,906 visa transactions or watching 129,260 hours of YouTube videos. Bitcoin Network's annual carbon footprint is 72.21 metric tons of CO2. CO2. Huh. And yet... The creators of Klima assure us that offsets can remedy and buy us a lot of time while we're rebuilding our society. While the elites zoom around to conferences in private jets and gas-guzzling SUVs and build rockets to fly to their hotels in space, take off from Mars, and build weapons to fight the inevitable space wars, we are being told that climate crisis is the biggest challenge of our lifetime and that 72% of CO2 emissions are addressable by consumer behavior. Well, <coughs> that's you and me. So let's follow China's example. They know how to shame their citizens. In 2014, China announced a planning outline for the construction of a social credit system, which was a plan that would extend from 2014 to 2020. 
Chinese Communist Party intends the Chinese Communist Party intends the social credit score system to allow the trustworthy to roam freely under heaven while making it hard for the discredited to take a single step. The plan states that by 2020, there will be a searchable file of every Chinese citizen that represents all the data collected from public and private companies to track their social credit. As the Chinese government likes to say, keeping trust is glorious and breaking trust is disgraceful. It's a moral challenge, people. How could you not get on board with that? The government should have every right to monitor its population using social media data, surveillance, purchasing trends, and other information. This will encourage the populace to keep trust while creating constraints against breaking trust as incentive mechanisms. In this way, the honest mentality and credit levels of the entire society will be raised, or so they say. And don't worry, this system gives a gracious way to restore your score. You can donate blood, donate to an approved charity, do community service, and do government-approved activities and the like. Well, hey, that sounds like what's being introduced here. We are all of us, everyone on the planet, learning how to give up our individual rights for the good of the one world order. COVID was the perfect excuse to introduce government control through ensuring that people were protected from an invisible virus that could spread from family member to family member, from country to country. We were all one in our fight against it. International health passports paved the way. Get ready for the May 2023 World Health Assembly in Geneva when we can expect standardized international vaccine passports to be introduced as a revision to the international health regulations. When the next pandemic is declared, and I'm banking on that being sometime in 2024 or 2025, only those who have a digital health certificate listing their up-to-date vaccines will be allowed to travel freely. Unveiled at its most recent conference, the G20 policy declarations include the creation of guidelines for a globally coordinated response, um, response to crises, enhanced by a technology-enabled, always-on global health infrastructure and a mutual recognition of COVID-19 vaccines made by G20 members. Klaus Schwab, always eager to hop on a stage and offer his two cents worth, had this to say. What we have to confront is a deep systemic and structural restructuring of our world. The world will look differently after we have gone through this transition process. And nothing spells that transition more thoroughly than the introduction of CBDCs. CBDCs are the final solution. Once they are implemented, there will be no more freedom, none at all. Debt, the fall of crypto, the rise of credit scores, and now the introduction of a social credit system laid the groundwork for this final solution. Money masters like BlackRock's Larry Fink have the answers for us. We'd best listen to him and realize how mistaken we were to put our trust in fly-by-night gurus like Sam Bankman-Fried. Charismatic modern-day televangelists like SBF are pawns, rising to power because they have been allowed to do so taking the gullible public along with them, and then they were brought down along with their Ponzi schemes and the gullible public fell too. Whereas once cryptocurrency and Bitcoin promised freedom and a new way to control one's personal money, the story now says that decentralized cryptocurrency is too easily corrupted. That story is hard to dispute in light of these crashing crypto giants. 
Best return to the fold, wayward sinners. You did good with wearing your masks and locking yourselves down. We rewarded you with some freedom. But then, look what you did. The government gave you a few moments of heady freedom and you made bad choices. Never mind that you aren't taking your boosters. That's bad enough and will need to be dealt with. You invested your money recklessly, believing hucksters who stole your hard-earned savings. Return your trust to the tried-and-true government-backed institutions like Fink advises. They will fix the problem and take care of you. And when the next pandemic strikes, don't worry. We will have taken care of that too. But only if you start taking your boosters and all the other gene therapies we are going to introduce into your immune compromised system. By that point, we will find ourselves unable to escape constant tracking, testing, and tracing. We will live off our universal basic income and we will spend our tokens within the limits of what the government deems is necessary. Citizens will accept it. If we don't, we will be punished, and our neighbors, even our own family members, will probably do the punishing, because what I or you do affects everyone's scores. An entire neighborhood could be penalized because of the bad behavior of a few residents drinking too much, uh, using too much water, or an entire family because of one wayward teenager who drinks too many Red Bulls. Remember, we are all in this together. We are all one. During an interview at the New York Times Dealbook Summit, Fink said most crypto companies will probably fold in the wake of FTX's collapse. Kind of interesting, since Sam Bankman-Fried isn't in jail, but was speaking at the same event. BlackRock, the world's biggest asset manager overseeing about $8 trillion, invested roughly $24 million in FTX through a vehicle called Fund of Funds. However, Fink himself says he has always been a longtime skeptic of cryptocurrencies. Of course, never mind that it's all one big contradiction. The guy's smarter than any of us will ever be. Look how successful he is. He must be doing something right. He's the kind of guy we can trust. FTX was invested in by the money masters and then purposely made to fail. Money managers from Wall Street to Silicon Valley and beyond poured billions of dollars into FTX, pushing its valuation as high as $32 billion before it imploded earlier this month. Firms including Sequoia Capital and Tiger Global Management have since marked down their stakes to zero as FTX and more than 130 affiliated entities went bust. Living in the world of the elite is a dangerous game. Russian crypto billionaire Vyacheslav Taran, the co-founder of Forex Club and president of the Libertex Group, recently died in a helicopter crash near the French-Italian border while traveling from Switzerland. Taran's company markets itself as a leading foreign exchange and trading platform for Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Dogecoin. Just in the last month, Three well-known cryptocurrency billionaires have died under mysterious circumstances. What's going on? The only reason I can think of that SBF isn't dead or in jail yet is because he still has a task to do, pushing the narrative that crypto needs more government control. Once enough people bought into the new money lies in the form of crypto, the story was allowed to unravel and destabilization occurred. The government can now sweep in and save everyone with regulations, restrictions, and the introduction of CBDCs. This is no different from what they have been doing for years amongst weaker nations, going in and destabilizing through war or other disasters and then offering help that indebts the weaker nation to the more powerful one forever.
The United States is said to be the most stable country on earth. It maintains this position by ensuring that other countries are less stable. Under the guise of kindly extending loans to poor countries, the United States enslaves poor nations who have experienced destabilizing events, such as wars or natural disasters. The World Bank gained power through wars and then through pandemics and now through climate change. The World Bank is a bank for nations, not people. People are irrelevant, and the more we think globally, the less the individual matters. The World Bank has two separate groups. The International Development Association provides loans to the world's poorest countries, and the International Bank for Reconstruction and Development gives loans to developing countries. It sounds nice helping all those poor nations, but it's like receiving a loan from the mob. Yes, it's convenient, you can get it right away, but the interest you will pay, the things you will have to do, will keep you the slave of the mob forever. Here are the top six most powerful international organizations. The United Nations, United Nations Children's Fund, World Health Organization, World Economic Forum, International Monetary Fund, and the World Bank. All of these organizations are headquartered in either the United States or Switzerland. UNICEF, WHO, and IMF are all part of the UN. If you look into these organizations, you notice that philanthropy in the form of loans to weaker nations is used as a way to gain more power. According to its website, the IMF works to foster global growth and economic stability by providing policy advice and financing the members by working with developing countries to help them achieve macroeconomic stability and reduce poverty. This process of controlling others through philanthropy works very well. Ukraine is a perfect example. Money has been pouring into the country without any oversight. Ukraine will never get out from under the control of the powers that own it. Ukraine is being used as a testing ground for CBDCs. The National Bank of Ukraine has been exploring the possibility of issuing a national digital currency since 2016. The country is preparing a pilot test of its own CBDC. Ukraine is on course to issue a central bank digital currency, the E-Hervnia, after President Zelensky signed the on-payment service law, the United States and other Western nations are now doing their own citizen are now doing to their own citizens what they have done to weaker nations. With the collapse of cryptocurrency and the increasing unrest in the world, the threat of further pandemics and natural disasters associated with climate change, people want their governments to keep them safe. People's credit cards are maxed out. They cannot afford to pay their bills. They are told that they must cut back on heating in the winter and they must stop eating certain kinds of foods. They must do with less for the sake of the planet and they have no choice. Imagine if everyone's debt could be wiped out everyone could get their housing for free, an allowance for basic needs, they would do it, especially when it's when it is either that or being homeless and hungry. In surveys conducted by Currency.com, 86% of central banks are actively looking into a CBDC. Nearly two-thirds of European, Asian, and U.S. adults said they would be likely to use a central bank digital currency. 33% said they would even be willing to convert their savings into CBDC within a month of a successful launch. Guard Time believes that the COVID-19 pandemic has accelerated the digitalization of all aspects of society and that the first major CBDC could be launched within three years. And now it's all coming together. It's just been announced that banking giants and the New York Fed will start a 12-week digital dollar pilot program. 
Just like the United States swept into aid poor countries suffering from wars and economic disasters, the collapse of cryptocurrency exchange FTX and the worldwide outcry over the billions of dollars wiped off the platform are likely to trigger a massive regulatory reaction that would further erode citizens' economic freedoms without addressing the issues that foster demand for an alternative to the fiat dollar, economists have told the Epoch Times. Charles Steele, chair of the Department of Economics, Business, and Accounting at Hillsdale College in Michigan, states that, I think a CBDC is very dangerous because it would enable a central bank or government to monitor, control, and record every exchange made with the currency. If, for example, a government decided it did not want citizens buying, say, firearms or perhaps donating funds to a political candidate, the central bank could prevent the transaction. Alternatively, it could have a permanent record of a citizen's purchases and use these to establish a social credit score for the person. In this way, a CBDC could become the ultimate tool of social engineering and tyranny. Well, once upon a time, people bartered for real things in the real world. Then, they started using coins and paper and called it money. After that, they started using tokens to buy and sell in a fake world, and then poof, money disappeared. But don't worry, the money masters will take care of you, just like they always have. They will especially take care of your grandchildren. Your grandchildren will never know what it means to hold a dollar bill in their hands. They will never know the pride of earning that dollar by washing a car or selling some homemade lemonade. They will never know the pleasure of spending that dollar on a Saturday matinee or a favorite novel or a big scoop of ice cream. Instead, they will earn tokens in the virtual world to buy things that don't exist. In the real world, they will own nothing and be happy. If I had known all of this back when my son was playing Night Online, would I have stopped him? How could I? There was nothing wrong with the game. It was great. He learned so much from it. And that's the problem. There is nothing wrong with technology or the ideas behind it. What's wrong is how the elite use it to further their own power by enslaving everyone else. All right, a long one. Thank you for making it to the end. <laughs> um, please, uh, please comment, please share, like, and God bless you all. <laughs>